How are you doing? Hello. From deep cuts to future classics. On location and behind the scenes. Somewhere between reasonable and crazy. It was no more complicated than that. Let's skip intro and find out what to watch on Netflix. Coming up. To tell this story properly, to really make this work for people, I'm going to spend another two years doing this. No two characters run the same way in a Ghibli movie. It's a good show to honour fashion and how it's created because you realise how much work goes into something. And above all else, you get to hang out with Tan France. The show is really good at showing that whole process from conception through to realisation. I don't believe we've met. What's your name? Hello and welcome to episode three of What to Watch on Netflix, the podcast that acts as a lighthouse during those stormy nights in front of the screen. I hope you've got your glad rags on, because in this tailor-made episode, we're getting doled up to the nines for an exquisite fashion special. It's one of the only industries where your success is dictated by something other than financial reports. Later on, Jamie goes off and finds out exactly what Studio Ghibli is, and I'll get Netflix Gina on the blower to tell us all what dropped on the service this morning. It is honestly so entertaining. I watched it all in like a day and a half. But first, the dream team of Queer Eyes Tan France and designer and all-round fashion guru Alexa Chung have teamed up and brought us a competition to make every wannabe Alexander Wang drool into their pincushion. Three, two, one. Are you ready? I am now. now. Yeah. Next in Fashion offers a massive $250,000 to one lucky designer who sews their way to the top. So let's find out who got themselves hemmed in, who got distressed and torn to shreds, and which hopeful got the whole thing stitched up. Joining Tan and Alexa is British fashion design icon Henry Holland, a man who's never afraid of standing out and giving it some very fashionable welly. Welcome, everyone. Hi, guys. Hello. Welcome to Next in Fashion. Yes! We've scoured the earth for some of the best designers in the world. And I've launched Apple Bottoms and Rockerwear. And I've worked for Stella McCartney, moved on to Alexander Wang. What? Who amongst you is a household name? That's exactly why we're here today. <laughs> Netta Porte will award the winning designer $250,000 with the opportunity to retail their designs. This is my chance. This is my opportunity. I think I need more thread than this, babe. Don't make me, make me, make me cry. Hello, Twinkle Toes. And my eye, 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 like Who is your muse for this challenge? You. Ah, that is so rude that you thought of her and not me. Big No is boring. Slutty, but not illegal. Big No is blah. This is a bit scary. 30 minutes left. Oh, I want to gasp. Hi, I'm Henry Holland, and I am the founder and creative director of a brand called House of Holland, which is based in London, which I like to find hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> now I was just thinking that it's funny. <laughs> so, yeah, um, it is. I'm Alexa Chung. I'm the founder and creative director of a company called Alexa Chung, based here in London. I was laughing because we've both chosen kind of the same job, but I definitely copied you, so <laughs> that's what made me laugh. Uh, hello, I'm Tan France. I'm neither the founder nor creative director of Netflix, but I work at Netflix. Uh, I'm on a show called Queer Eye, and now next in fashion. Guys, we are here to talk next in fashion, and the search for talent format, is tried and tested on TV. Mm-hmm. It works very well. There are searches for the ultimate singer, rapper, baker, glass blower. Yeah. 
hairdo. Really? I haven't seen that one. <gasps> it's so good. Oh, man. Really? Oh, it's so good. What's You're the missing glass out. Blowing one I think it's called Blown You haven't seen Blown Away? Blown Away. Is it called Blown Away? It's That's a Netflix really good. Normally, good. something with that good. kind of word in the title would be top of my list. But, <laughs> 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 but now we have, we have one for fashion. Yeah. What exactly is on the line in this show? What are they playing for? I mean, there's a very lucrative cash prize, which is amazing. Yeah. There's uh, the opportunity to sell their collection on Net-a-Porter, which is amazing if you're at the start of your career and you want to kind of be stocked somewhere. That's one of the biggest retailers in the world. And above all else, you get to hang out with Tan France. <laughs> huge. And above all of that, you get to be on a global platform, which is actually huge. It's so much more than just the money. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. For these designers. Yeah. What are some of the challenges that we can expect them to to face in this series? Putting up with a like <laughs> <it's> humor. <laughs> um, yeah, putting up with my snidey side eyes. <laughs> um, no, uh, loads of them. So there's different uh, challenges each week. Before we even get to the challenges, I think. Uh, one of the difficult things that we uh, threw at them was they're partnered with someone else, which if you're both a creative force in your own right is quite a difficult thing to get on with uh, in the creative space. So from the get-go, they're already... Some of them are partnered with friends they knew already. A lot of the contestants are kind of partnered with just someone random. So there's that. And then a series of challenges, which Tan will talk you through now. Great. Um, <laughs> every episode there's a different challenge. Um, however, I want to jump off on uh, off something that Alexa said that I think the really important thing about uh, the show when we when the audience watches and they see that we've put two people together, it's not just for fun, even though it is. We put them together because that's what happens in the real world. Like there's uh, Henry, I'm sure at your company, you're not the only person um, involved with the creative. I know that you lead the team, but there's yeah. a lot of people's voices you have to here i think if you're the Absolutely. only person's voice that uh, that a person hears it's not going to be a successful company like you need to bounce ideas off people um and so that's the joy of having uh these teams with nets and fashion so are they partnered up through because i've only seen episode one we yeah. can't tell you that oh sorry so <laughs> well, but are the they partnered up throughout Oh, oh, no comment. Alexa's given the no because like, what, if you, what, if, what happens when you're down to three? Although you wouldn't get to three if they're partnered up every episode. Exactly. So but I it, guess it, they're partnered till a critical point, and yeah. then and then it's then like every best friends become competitors. See, this is what I was going to ask. Yeah. Is yeah. there like fight, talk, and feuds in fashion? Because it, unlike MasterChef, yeah. Everyone's getting along. They're sharing the. Oh yeah, can I borrow some of your milk? Sure, you can. Yeah. Is fashion a little bit more intense than that? The show or the industry? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I'm, let's talk about the show first. Okay. Because our show is a very positive, uplifting show. So there isn't. We don't. Uh, we don't explore people's fights. That's. There's no reason for that. Mm. Yes. There's every now and then there's a little bit of competition between them saying. I know that this person is doing this. I think mine's better, and that's fine. There's healthy competition, but we are not. I think uh, it's quite '90s to be bitchy. Yeah. Now it, we're not. <laughs> we're not like yeah. a, it's not like a reality show. It's not like a, yeah. it's not one of those where you're encouraging fights between at all. That's not what our show. No, is. No, it's more kind of uh, working together. With, yeah, exactly. Whereas if we're talking about fashion at large, I'd say yeah, obviously it's not. And people aren't sharing their their tiramisu's like on MasterChef. They're like. There's a lot of feuds. Yeah, some people are very secretive about how they do what they do because there's a lot of paranoia about people copying you yeah. and 
um, some people more but, than others. But don't you think, Hen, in London, the community here is particularly sharing? Like, I think, yeah. I think I've found from my experience with the company is that if you ask someone where they produce something or whether they can help you get in touch with um, a fabric mill or whatever, everyone's really helpful. That's yeah, there's nice. a real sense of camaraderie and I think a level of respect. As much as we are essentially in competition with each other because there's only so many budgets for each mm. of the shops to buy clothes, there's a real uh, level of respect because everyone understands how difficult the industry is and how mm. hard it is to do what we do. And I think once people get to a certain point where they're quite comfortable in yeah. themselves and confident in their businesses and they're much more willing to share. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's more younger, uh, maybe up and coming right. uh, designers who are a bit more protective because they've got that level of paranoia that what they're doing is, you know... But even sharing, like if someone leaves to go to another company or you inherit some patent culture from someone else's yeah. brand, people aren't mean about it. Like mm-hmm. I, no. I'm always like, oh my God, he's amazing. Have yeah. fun over there. Or if I've happened to got someone from somewhere else they're like oh she's great you're gonna yeah. love her. I don't know if you're her. trying to reassure us um, because you stole somebody from someone else and now oh, I could do that <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah it happens <laughs> somebody who's on the outside looking into fashion and my knowledge of fashion is kind of based on the devil wears prada which is an accurate documentary it's one of my favorite i would have thought it was just like quite bitchy quite scary it's 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 one of the only industries where your success is uh dictated by something other than kind of financial reports it's like oh are you cool are you not you know are you desirable are you not and it can get really difficult being in a position that we're in myself Mm. and alexa in that it's actually your name that's the thing that's on sale it's like oh alexa chung is selling exceptionally well or henry holland's not selling very well it's like people talk about your brand like you're a bit you're something to be traded, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it, it's, yeah. It can be it's quite weird... demoralizing as like a human being. <laughs> is there a bit of fear then in in fashion that you're kind of you're you're only as as good as the last person who wore your dress? Or yeah, your last yeah, hundred percent. Mm. You're only as good as your last collection. Mm. Yeah. That must be terrifying. Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is a wig and, you know, I, I, I have pulled out all of my fingernails, but thank God it's a podcast and yeah. not recording. This is why so. we're resorting to just sonic representation. <laughs> <laughs> this is why the curtains are drawn We're just going to explain our clothes we're sat in the dark. <laughs> They look great. Let's talk about the fashion designers mm. on Next in Fashion because these aren't just any old chances you've picked up off the street. No. Some of these people have already done some pretty amazing things. There was some serious name dropping in episode one alone. Yeah, I have some questions on that, actually. Go for it. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Yeah, Yeah, here we go. No, um, who, how did you go about the casting process? Did you go out and ask people? Alexa and I visited people's homes. Just like, yeah. (laughs) It's like a a general knock-a-door process. Because these people are all in industry and have been for a long time. So I just wondered how you went about kind of uh, putting uh, out a casting call. We weren't involved with that, but uh, I'm aware of how some of it happened. So they'd get uh, our production company, which is called Old School TV, would go to... um, um, uh, for example, magazines within a certain country. So let's say, for example, uh, GQ UK, they'd yeah. go to them and say, is there anybody that's up and coming that's doing really well that you okay. might know of? Um, or they'd go to brands that they'd work with, let's say, for example, Stella or Louis Vuitton and say, is there anybody you've worked with recently that is 
fantastic right. and, and that could do this. Uh, and so that's how they got the majority. Is of, it? Yeah, of the... Very clever. <laughs> I, love you, they... I love that you just found that <laughs> out. <Alexa. laughs> okay, so Tan, how did they get Angelo? <laughs> <laughs> Did it, weirdly he has a very successful brand? No, I know, Italy. but yeah. he would have had his own brand. Oh, so maybe that was yeah. through a magazine. Sometimes they, yeah, sometimes they reach out to the brand through the magazine. Got it? Yeah. Because they were they named someone named dropped Beyonce, yeah, yeah. Nicki Minaj, yeah, 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 Katy yeah, yeah. Perry, yeah. Alexander Wang. These yeah. these Michelle people, Obama. Yes, it's these nuts. people were doing quite well already. Did that make the stakes higher? I think that's what's really interesting about our show. It's it's um, a show where people are already successful. They are already esta- relatively established designers. It wasn't a case of we've gotten somebody off the street who just is a great home home sewer. Like these are established people with great reputations on the line. Um, so I think it makes for a really interesting runway show. It's the first of its kind that I've seen where they are actually making the most interesting clothing, especially the finale. I won't give it away, but the finale is... Eye-opening, jaw-dropping. Some of those creations were incredible. Yeah, and I think uh, because they were somewhat established already, it's kind of important that they were defending their reputation as well. So, yeah, the stakes were very high for them as well because, you know, some of them had to be kind of persuaded to do it because they already were doing quite well. This was just an opportunity to do even better. So they obviously don't want to go out in one of the first rounds because that looks bad. So, yeah, there's a lot at stake. But they're... They're, yeah, phenomenally talented. That I can't... Because they only had, like, a, a day. A day and a half. We call it two days on the show, but they literally have a day and a half. That's... From conception to runway. Yeah. Yes. And remember, in between that, they're doing interviews and there's a camera in your face. Like, that slows you down. That's intimidating. So these people... It's very, very incredible. stressful, yeah. Henry, have you ever knocked something out in a day and a half? <laughs> <laughs> you can do two minutes, it's fine. It depends on the content. You wish. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, my mind's in the gutter. Um, yes, I've worked really hard and produced a garment in less than two days. Yeah, like I was just about to say, like that's actually quite true to life. When it gets to fashion weeks, you might uh, knock out up to, say, like four or five garments the day before the show. Because it's only sort of within the last 48 hours that you start confirming models and putting the outfits together. And so then at that point, the stylist will stick their oar in in (laughs) and be like, oh, we need that as a short, we need that as a trouser, and I want a floor-length coat in that and all this. So you then have to sort of start making uh, garments and and adding in. So I think that heightened pressure is quite true to real life in terms of industry. I had one point in that you'll see um, when you get to the final episode, which I think is important to mention, that when you are working on your collections for Fashion Week, let's say, for example, your stylist is saying, I need X, Y, and Z to finish this collection. Mm. It's not just you in that sewing room. It's You no. have other people helping you. You cannot yeah. possibly do it all alone. And so I think that's an interesting point that we mentioned in our final episode where they have a team of sewers to work with them. They're not allowed to creative consult, but there is, there's a team of um, sewers who are actually doing the physical sewing because it's impossible. It would be impossible, but that's because we're asking them to create an entire collection by the end, not just one or two outfits. In two and a half days. Yeah. Well, also, I mean, I can't use a sewing machine. Well, there's that. I can't either. I would need my team of sewers from episode one. But I think that can be misunderstood as well because... Uh, speaking of Angela, who I just mentioned, he he's the creative director at his own company. Yeah, but he's not necessarily a sewer. But we were kind of critiquing that in the show. But actually, it's quite typical that a creative director isn't the person that's the pattern cutter. They're yeah. different 
skill set. I mean, what, it's, it doesn't need to be a brand. Doesn't need to be beyond a, a, a very big level that the creative director doesn't actually work on the physical making of the garments. Mm. That's quite standard from like season the two, three. The difficult thing with our show, though, and I know you and I discussed it a lot behind the scenes it's all well and good for real life but on a show no i know they have to like this they don't have their team it was so difficult we loved angela but it was so hard to much. explain Which it yeah, to angela, even just, our yeah. own team to be absolutely. like because they're like well they can't so it's i like, know yes. but actually that's you not wouldn't, his job that's not yeah. his job yeah which one's angelo He's the, he's the Italian guy in all of them. He's one of my favourites. Leopard. Yeah, I love friend. that guy. Love him. Yeah, yeah. loved him. <gasps> he's really fun. It looks like a runway collection in the making. He looks like a bad bitch. Your work really needs to be in the world. Only one of you will be next in fashion. That was dramatic. Drama, drama. Oh, I hear a graceful clippity clop. It's a small Shetland pony behind you. (laughs) Just kidding, it's me. Let's talk the fashion industry and the context of Next in Fashion yeah. in that. Because I think we, we briefly mentioned how fashion can come across as maybe a bit elitist, mm-hmm. maybe a bit snobby or bitchy at times. How important is a show like Next in Fashion in maybe changing that perspective and showing how accessible it can be? Because there are contestants that haven't been to fashion school. There was a, There's a lady who's got three kids and she's working three jobs. Mm. How, how important is Next in Fashion in that conversation? Do you want to take it? No, I like the old school version. <laughs> to a certain ex- so here's the here's the thing I will say is that sometimes it can be snooty, sometimes it can be incredibly pretentious, sometimes it is exclusive. Uh, I guess it depends on what brand that person wants to cultivate and create. Um, uh, and our show, we're, we're not suggesting that everything that's produced on that show would be accessible to the masses, um, but these are people who take great pride in their craft. Their art and they want to create something that unfortunately sometimes isn't available at an accessible price point so we're not suggesting that this is something that's available to everybody what we want is a show that's entertaining to everybody to to inspire people and to say you don't have to have gone to saint martin's to be a wonderful designer you can like Nichelle or many of our contestants, um, be a, uh, somebody who's self-taught. Charles was self-taught. Yeah. He was an incredible sewer. He was fantastic, um, yeah. And so I, I think our sh- show shows uh, that it runs a gamut. You can have somebody who learnt to sew on their sewing machine at home from that by their mom and people have gone to the likes of Central St. Martins um, and it's something that we uh, that I say not on our show on a, on a different show is that I, I don't really care if something costs $5,000 or if it costs $50 if you can make it look a certain way if you make it look um, great because of the confidence you have that's all that matters however this is a design competition but also show. I think it's a good show to honour fashion and and how it's created as well because you realise how much work goes into something and it might be more expensive, but the idea behind it and and the kind of passion and vision, it's kind of impossible to recreate that at a different price point. Mm-hmm. So it's more like showing all the hard work. And actually the partnering up really helps to show that because yeah. showing the collaborative nature of the industry. It's like we were saying earlier, it's 
it's not just one person in any company. If you hear any fashion designer accepting an award, the first person they would always thank is their team because mm-hmm. they're, there's a real sense of guilt that you're going up there to, I mean, not that I've won many awards. No! But like, <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know, but I should imagine. I win an award, my acceptance speech? No. <laughs> uh, but like, there's a, a real sense of guilt that you're being like praised for something that you know full well is you're a very small part of mm. the whole process. And yeah. I think the show, um, when I watched it last night, it was that it was very really important to show that collaborative process. Um, another thing that, another like kind of topic, I guess, that comes up though is towards the end is sustainability. Because mm-hmm. a lot of the designers, um, you know, will be the future of fashion. And a lot of them are, in every challenge almost, someone mentioned that they wanted to try and, uh, if they were to win the money, they'd like to set up a company that had a sustainable kind of focus. So I think it's modern in that respect in that we're addressing things that are happening right now. Mm-hmm. I think if anybody's setting up a fashion business today that isn't hasn't got sustainability as, at the forefront as, and at the focus is just not going to survive. It's not going to survive. I, I agree. Like it's so hard having started a company 15 years ago and now trying to incorporate sustainability yeah. practices into what you do. Mm-hmm. Whereas should I be, if I was to start again, then that would be at the, at forefront, the forefront and yeah. the complete focus because yeah. it's so much easier to do it from the get-go. Yeah. We have um, Tommy Hilfiger on the fo- on the show as well, mm. uh, spoiler alert, but that's what he was saying as well. He, he was like, you know, this is the single most important thing that's going to happen to fashion. Mm. So it's interesting to have like legends like that yeah. come on and be so in touch with the future. sustainability and that sort of responsibility that that fashion has to the environment yeah. is there is there also that responsibility in fashion to i guess humanity in that at times you're maybe defining what uh, is menswear and what is womenswear so you're kind of defining uh, gender mm-hmm. you're kind of defining what is an average size or what is do you know what i mean what is what is runway size is is there a big responsibility in fashion to constantly be considering what's diverse, what's inclusive, what's what's accessible. I think because of who I am as a person, I feel like I want to represent myself to be mm. open, yeah. you know, and to be promoting an inclusive brand and an inclusive approach to what I do. And that's just an extension of my personal values. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that transpires too much. But it work. is funny how uh, sort of apathetic... Uh, people can be like finance people Mm. oh yeah of course yeah like uh, yeah how so just like uh, I do think the sustainability thing is really important and I've uh, in you know in the past few months we hired a company to help educate every area of my business how to move towards performing in a more sustainable way so whether that's packaging or you know thinking about how we're flying the products around or whether it's travelling far or blah 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 um but, you know, it, it, took, it was a conversation that I had to have to justify the cost of that coming into the business. It's um, the tricky thing is, do the, does the consumer, as much as they say they care yeah. about this issue, if you say add 25 quid to everything mm-hmm. that they're going to buy from mm-hmm. you, there will, there will be a resistance because they don't make the connection. There's so yeah. much that goes on with fashion. And I think the show is really good at showing that whole process from mm. conception through to realisation. You know, you've got the tension between the partnerships about getting to that end process kind of is a microcosmic view on that. 
But people on social media, yeah, they're always keen to say, where was that made or yeah. how much is that, blah, 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 blah. Or what so size they, do you go up to? What size yeah. do you go up to? And then they write, why is it so expensive? Yeah. It's yeah. like those two things are linked. So if you want us to use uh, washing machines that are using less water or not dye that product in yeah. this particular way, then that costs more money. So then it's going to cost you ultimately more money. And yeah. then you also are the ones writing, why it cost so much? Yeah. Yeah. It's like... Yeah. <laughs> this is this is part of a much bigger conversation though. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. Really what I want to know is did you nick anything from the set of Next Day <gasps> Fashion? You did. What did I mean? Yeah, where I are feel like you were always now. trying yeah. to steal uh <laughs> Minju's clothes. Oh yeah, I was always trying to steal a contestant's clothes. Always. Not just one, like quite a few of them. I didn't actually get away with one. You didn't get anything? No, which feels really strange. And now I think I'm going to go back and but try and find them. They said they wanted to keep the collections for the launch yes. party. And once the launch party's over, I'll have my way. Um, no, there was I'm nothing I stole. I'm talking stock from Fed. Did you nothing. get some uh, Ivy Park Saints I don't know, Swarovski yet. crystals. And a little bit of no, Oh no, but not. we nearly oh. burned down the set. Talk to me about that. <laughs> oh my God, I thought they'd keep it in. Did they, they not? No, they didn't keep it on the shelf. Um, we found a blowtorch, like a Bunsen burner. A Bunsen burner, and like haven't who, seen that since secondary school. Exactly. <laughs> who doesn't love a Bunsen burner? So I'm we turned it on because we were like, lol. And we were tr- so she <laughs> held a ribbon up, and I was trying to slice it, like <laughs> cut it with the Bunsen burner. And then finally, they were like over the PA system, turn, put it down, Alexa, move. Next like, we're like, oh. <laughs> proper fire. Yeah. Well, it was just really uh, vicious. It was a proper gun. Very it was like, aggressive. <laughs> It was just more than we thought it would be. No, anyway, the, uh, no, no one got hurt. But it was there really were, There were a couple of casualties during. I love how there was a pause. Uh, no, 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 because no, no, there were other accidents oh on my set. Because fashion is is precarious. It can. I'm sure there can be. I mean, there's scissors. There's needles. Do you know what the people? The main injury you can sustain is falling off stage at awards shows because <laughs> of the because of the scary invisible auto cue yeah, yeah, yeah. thing. Yeah. So that happens a lot. Some there's a really dramatic moment. We don't we don't build drama through fights on the show. There's natural organic drama, uh, and there's a moment where somebody gets hit hit in the face so badly. Yeah. So 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 like badly. blood like a bloodbath. Oh my gosh! It's, it's disgusting. So disgusting. Flying shoe. It was a pole of fabric. They're uh... kind of fighting for the fabric because we let them all go in the fabric closet all at once. So everyone's like, "Fuck, fabric's so important to this." Yeah. Blah blah blah. So they're like kind of scrambling around and then the pole this like, just falls yeah. like nearly in his eye oh. slices his face so open. there is blood in yeah. this series oh there will yeah. be blood blood, blood sweat, sweat and tears, and tears. <laughs> guys I can't get you here without asking you what your fashion prediction is what I've are we, we going to be wearing? For when? Oh, all right, you take this one then. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about it. She's no, got loads. I, I was just thinking of them in the car. And <laughs> what I've are we wearing them. next year, Alexa? Okay. This, I was thinking of them in the car and I've forgotten them. Next year, this year, what season are we referring to? This is the thing you fashion Hang people on a speak minute. in seasons. Oh, what was it? I was thinking about in the car. For when okay, corsets, easy peasy. Shorts, for sure. Not No longer just cycling ones, but just like shorts. Are you kind of fall winter? Are you doing fall winter? Just in general. Okay. What, what kind of shorts? Uh, like tailored shorts. Yeah. The city short. Yeah, if you will. I will. Um, I mean, I'm, I catching up on, I'm catching up on Desperate Housewives at the moment and I'm going through that over-the-knee woolly sock tailored Ooh. short period from like the late sort of 2010s. Yeah, that, yeah. I was there for that. You were very there for that. 
Um, but you know what it is? It's the early 2000s. I mean, we're already seeing it. It's already kind of happened. But early 2000s, Paris Hilton, like, like you know, trash. L- like, yeah, kind of like uh, Simple Life. Oh, yeah, the, the yeah, low yeah. rise jean Von Dutch hat. Yes. You got it. You got it. Yeah. That's it. Is that coming back? Yeah, 100%. Oh, I know what. I'm ready side. for the return of a boot cut. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, big time. Oh, yeah. Well, because Bal- uh, Balenciaga brought back those taekwondo shoes. Yes. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. I did. first day at uni. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <sighs> With that a boot cut. My yeah. friend said to me last night, she said, babe, I can see that trend coming back again, but I'm just worried to put it on because I don't want to bump into people and they say, have you not got a change since the 90s? No. Do you ever look at like a major, like a major fashion house and think that is shit? Oh, oh, all yes. the time. Always. All the time. All the time. Come on, then. I've been at shows <laughs> nah. where I'm like... Don't say... You haven't got to say the name of the brand, but tell me a shit thing you've seen. Well, uh, no, because then you could... That it gives it away. Yeah. Yeah. Really. Taekwondo shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I lived in those Taekwondo shoes. Oh, my God. So I did I, and these so hurt much. your feet when it was yeah. cold because there was literally no padding. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, like, the, the most important thing to remember is fashion is... Subjective, right? Yeah. So, yeah. What, like, that's what you've got to keep telling yourself when people constantly tell you this exactly, shit. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so that's when you they're can't like, please everyone with yeah. everything. So I think you know, as long as you stay true to what you're putting out and it and it resonates with you, then you've got to just keep your blinkers on and not listen to too much. Noise. And it resonates with enough people to buy your stuff. Well, that then you're too. Fine. That too. Right, guys, you've told us what to wear. Mm. In a moment, you're going to tell us what to watch. That's it. We'll come back in a bit to find out exactly what Alexa, Tan and Henry seek out when they're in front of the box in their crusty old joggers. But first, you may have seen a big announcement that Netflix have got the rights to something called Studio Ghibli. If you're like me, you'll have heard the name but won't really know what it is. Don't panic, Jamie's got it covered. There's only one place to go when you need to know about cool Japanese animation. Jonathan Ross's house. Thank you, Dottie. Hello, everybody. Now, if you're a bit confused when you looked on your phone and read the news about Netflix acquiring the rights to something called Studio Ghibli a few weeks ago, don't worry, you won't be alone. Uh, I mean, it's a legendary studio. It's a Japanese animation company, and Netflix is going to be dropping loads of their films in kind of, I think, in three batches. There's some coming on February the 1st, then some on March the 1st, and then some on April the 1st. But, you know, I know a lot about my TV. I know a hell of a lot about my films, but... I don't know nearly enough about something like Studio Ghibli to give you an informed opinion, to give you advice on what to watch or where to start or what it's all about. But I know a man that does. So I got on the phone to my old friend, Mr. Jonathan Ross, and he invited me around to a paradise of toys. He is obsessed with Japanese culture, as you probably know. I popped up at his offices, which are just rammed full of some of the world's rarest toys on earth. There was even a cardboard box on a shelf that apparently makes grown men weep when they see it because it's so rare. Anyway, Jonathan relished the chance to sit down, grab a microphone and hold your hand and give you a lovely, wonderful what to watch on Netflix guide to Studio Ghibli. Take it away, Mr. Ross. Welcome to What to Watch on Netflix, Mr. Jonathan Ross. How are you, sir? Nice to be here. Big Netflix watcher, obviously. Lovely stuff. Now, 
when we found out the studio Ghibli. Well, uh, you know, I'm still confused. I believe it's Ghibli. Ghibli. Or Ghibli is the Japanese, but I often say Ghibli as well. I wouldn't okay. call it. I'm very non-judgmental, so we can fine. call it whatever you want. As long as we don't call it Disney, we're fine. <laughs> so when we found out that, that, that it was arriving, like everybody went crazy. Yeah. But I imagine that there are quite a lot of Netflix kind of viewers who are kind of like, well, I've kind of heard about it. It looks a little bit like Battle of the Planets. Is this is this anime? What is... So who better to come to than the man himself, the expert? I mean, it doesn't look anything like Battle of the Planets, <laughs> to be just, honest. I mean, what, it's, I'm making it's a cartoon. I'm and... making a sweeping generalisation okay. there. Well, Battle of the Planets is great. Um, so uh, basically, Ghibli is a studio, uh, and, and people often say, and, and, and fans push back on this, of course, but I can see why it's an easy comparison. They, they say it's the Japanese Disney. Of course, it isn't Japanese Disney, because Disney is much more of a kind of monolithic corporation where lots of individuals involved. And Ghibli essentially is the work of Hayao Miyazaki, Miyazaki-san himself, the master of animation. I can give you a brief potted history of his career before that, and I'll probably get some of it wrong, so apologies in advance, but an absolute genius. Yeah. He retired twice that I know of in recent years, and thankfully he keeps coming back out of retirement, but he is a master of animation, and something about the spirit, the soul, the energy, the humour, the warmth, the compassion, and the imagination that he puts into these stories, most of which originate in the studio, um, a couple of uh, come from outside sources, uh, they really have made, put them in a league of their own. Yeah. I would say they are they are the best animated films in cinema. And what is it about them that makes them so good? I think it's a combination of things that I sort of like ranted about already. It's the charm. Yeah. It's the powerful imagination. It's the incredible imagination. It's the attention to detail. I mean, I'm lucky enough to have met and interviewed Hayao Miyazaki. I went to his studio in Japan and he gave me some time because he knew I was a fan. I've been a huge fan since the early 90s. Uh, because I, I discovered them through chance, really. A friend of mine was, I'd asked him to find me martial arts movies. And this is in the days before you could get this stuff easily. I was making yeah. programs about this and you had to really search to find this stuff. And he was in New York. I said, well, can you find out? I think Chinatown do have some on VHS. I can watch American find. And he sent me uh, a tape. He said, you should watch this. It's not martial arts. It's called Naushka. Um, and, um, I thought, well, and it looked like nausea. I thought, that's a weird thing. And I watched it, and it's, it's not one of their kind of like better-known titles, but it's just an amazing film. And it struck me that this was an imaginative animated feature which really seemed to be aimed at young adults and above. Yeah. You know, it wasn't a kid's movie. It wasn't Sweet Second. It was, it's an incredible story, very multi-layered, um, uh, and as a beautifully animated, of course. So he knew I was a fan of his since, since the early days, and so he gave me some time. And one of the questions I asked him, I said, what do you think is, I, said, I know this is a simplifying too much, you know, the art, but what would you say is the, the most important thing in animation? And he thought about it, and he said, the backgrounds. You know, it's a weird thing to say, but then yeah. you, when you look at, their films you see that the worlds although they're often fantastical sometimes they're based in reality and they're kind of a, a an imaginative reinterpretation of reality but often they're fantastical worlds which don't exist but they feel real they always feel real and yeah. the beautiful detail if you watch spirited away which is probably i mean certainly i can't really do favorites because i'm an adult but it's one of my favorite movies of all time right okay. not just animated favorite films just completely period yeah. uh, i watch it again and again and there are sequences when when the little girl first arrives with the family and there's a a pathway leading to a uh, an abandoned uh, amusement park, they think, uh, and this happened a lot. There was a kind of economic boom in the, I think, the 80s in Japan, and a lot of people invested in that kind of thing, and a lot of them then went bust. So they're, they were abandoned like amusement Blobby parks. Like Blobbyland or whatever. It was like Blobbyland, but, but not as problematic. <laughs> <laughs> but Blobbyland is a good point of reference. Yeah. Uh, and and you, the, the, the scenery that's drawn outside, the way the, the ageing process, the sense you get the feeling that they're going into a world which hasn't been um, entered by humans for a long while. There's moss on all the on all the kind of like shrines. There's kind of dust everywhere. There's piles of leaves in it. It feels and sounds so real. So they spend the time 
some on the bits that other animators probably just gloss yeah. over. And I bit. think if you look at early Disney, and, and I, I love what Disney does today still, and certainly Pixar are amazing, but you look at early Disney, early Disney had that quality as well. And then certainly in the in the late 60s, I would say from like Walt's last movie, Jungle Book onwards, they lost that. They lost yeah. that attention to detail. It became much more of a kind of a... I think you can even see them counting the, the coins and saying, okay, well, if we spend this long on this, we don't make as much profit on well, this. Someone so, found, didn't they? They used the same kind of backgrounds and kind of uh, which and, is, which and is animation hideous, patterns. Which yeah. is just bizarre. Yeah, bizarre. Yeah. But it shows you a lack of appreciation, a lack of love for their art. And there's a there's a, a, several books on Miyazaki and one book which collects his interviews and articles. And if you read that, he talks about early stuff and he talks about uh, how he wants to make sure he'll put the work in because he wants to make sure that when people move, they move, not only do they move in a way which we can see as being real, but also they move in a way which is unique to them as a character. Right. So, you know, there's no one running. No no two people, no two characters run the same way in a, in a Ghibli movie. Wow, that's... That's incredible. But, and it goes right back to before he was in charge of a studio. The earliest animation I've got I own by him were two, one of which you can find quite easily. Uh, it's called Panda Go Panda. It's got a lovely song. It goes, Panda Go Panda Go Panda, which is catchy. Yeah. It's about a girl who I think goes to stay with some relatives and winds up living with a panda, and if I remember correctly, a tiger. I'm not sure. It's, you have to suspend disbelief a little bit there, yeah, yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, but before that, I've got a thing he was involved in as an animator, as an employed animator. And it's called um, Future Boy Conan. And it's kind of set it's a in... a great name. It's a great name. And it's set in the a kind of post-apocalyptic future Earth. A lot of it's underwater. And I, I, I found it... I think I've got it on VCD discs or something. Really impossible to watch anymore. Yeah. But amazing. And you can see there's something... Even though it was a TV series comparatively low budget, there's something about the animated style. There's something about it. You can sense his presence even in that. They're really emotional films, aren't they? That's what I got from them, is that they're deeply moving. Yeah. They, I mean, it's, even the ones which you might be surprised to find that, or maybe not, I don't know, maybe it's me, but a more recent one, there's one called Ponyo, which is sort of a retelling of The Little Mermaid, but not not recognisably so. But certainly there's a fish that wants to be a human in it. Um, and uh, it's very, very much aimed, you know, for the younger audience, or certainly allowing a young audience to enjoy it. Uh, and when it came out, I was so excited. It was a new good movie. And I watched it and felt, oh, you know, it, it's kind of, it's very childlike. It's very, very, very innocent. Very yeah. But then I got drawn back and there were certain scenes in it, which are some of my favourite scenes. There's a certain beautiful, almost you know, really poetic scenes just about what would be seemingly mundane moments in life, which are given a magic and a beauty. And you realise that, you know, it's almost like Zen-like in the way that if you appreciate every moment, there's a moment where the mum is making her son and Ponyo, who was a fish but is no more, and that's not a spoiler, um, uh, he's making them a little dinner. And the, you just see her boiling the water, getting right. the soup ready, putting some of the ingredients in. And it's such a beautiful sequence. And it's a sequence which actually doesn't add anything to the narrative thrust. It right, okay. doesn't tell you anything really about the characters, but it's just a moment of beautiful poetry, cinematic poetry. For people that are like, right, this sounds amazing, where do they start? Because it, well, it can seem quite daunting. You can start anywhere, really. It depends on what you're looking for. I mean, I would say that there, there are a, a several absolute masterpieces that have come from, from Ghibli. I mean, Spirited Away is, is probably my go-to movie. One, isn't it? Yeah. When my daughter, who's a young adult now, she's 22, but she was feeling ill. She, had a, she was having a bit of a rough time anyway, I think, you know, emotionally, but also she had a cold. And she came around and I said, why don't we, let's go and lie on the bed and watch Spirited Away. 
So it's a kind of feel-good movie for the soul. It's just a beautiful, beautiful, fantastical film. Quite long, but not too long. So many different worlds within it, so many different elements. Uh, Funny at times, incredibly touching, just beautiful. If you want something with a bit more action or adventure in it, I would recommend you look at um, Nausicaa Valley of the Wind that I mentioned earlier. Or indeed, there's um, uh, Castle of Cagliostro, which is an early film. I don't know if it's in the Ghibli film, but certainly Miyazaki made, which is one of the Lupin who was the master thief. I don't know if you've heard of Lupin. No, I haven't, no. It's a series of master thief animated films. And he, he directed, I believe, uh, Castle of Cagliostro. And uh, in that, there's a ch- car chase sequence, which Steven Spielberg says is the best car chase sequence in cinema. Wow. Yeah, so that's fun. Um, I would recommend, I'm trying to remember what this one's called here, Castle in the Sky. I've got a thing I bought back So what's from, this? This is like a little toy. Well, I went to the uh, Ghibli Museum uh, in Tokyo, but in a kind of suburb of Tokyo, and I bought some stuff here. And this is these are little music box type things, but they're not really. They're more like um, they're statuettes that yeah. you can, and they play the theme song. So I'll play you the theme yeah, song for one of these do. Yeah, in yeah. a moment. I won't yeah. do it yes because once it starts, I don't know how to stop it. So I'll give you that afterwards. <laughs> I'd recommend that Ponyo's a lovely one to start with little kids. Um, I'm just trying to think of some of the other ones that I feel. Now, there's one interesting film which is I think his name is Isao Tanahara, who was uh, um, Miyazaki's partner. Right. And if I get the name wrong, please forgive me. Um, and he directed a film called Grave of the Fireflies, which came to you. And that is an amazing film, I think certainly to our eyes, because we think of animated films being just fantasies normally. Yeah. Um, but this is a film which tells the story of his experience as a young boy after the bomb was dropped in Nagasaki. Wow. And how he tried to look after his little brother when their parents were dead. And it's, it's a gut punch of a movie. Right. It's an amazing film. And, and once again, Japanese animation does this often. There's a film called um, Barefoot Gen, which is another film which is about... Someone's playing the flute. Can you hear that? I can hear. Some, it's, it's not my... No, no. It's someone playing the flute outside. That's the problem with having an office. We're sitting <laughs> in my office doing this interview and it's right near a yoga, a yoga studio. That's the kind of crap I've got. That's what's going on. That's what yoga people do. <laughs> They're meant to be nice people. What are we... We, we don't deserve that. There'll be bagpipes next. We don't deserve tuneless flute playing so they can get in the white zone to stretch. Amazing. I thought that was the music box. Yeah, no, sadly. <laughs> uh, but speaking of the music box, you pointed over one and there's one there which is probably my second favourite animated film of all time, which is Totoro. Right. My neighbour Totoro or Totoro... Um, it's about two little girls, Sen Tochihiri, uh, two little sisters, and they're sent away to live in the countryside with their father and mother because their mother needs to be at a sanatorium for her health. And so they were the father who's going to work. So they're kind of left in the countryside to their own devices and they thought they discover and form a friendship with a giant kind of a wood spirit, kind of a fantastic... Is it yeah. their imagination? Is he real? You don't necessarily always know. Uh, just a beautiful, beautiful film. But they deal with kind of proper adult emotional issues, don't yeah, they? Yeah, to an extent. I mean, because Spirited Away is... Spirited Away, I was very lucky to see it. I think we were the first family to see Spirited Away with Western subtitles on. This was when we went to see Miyazaki, and I was there with my wife and the kids, and he said, we've just finished the subtitles, would you like to watch it? It's like, yeah, maybe. I don't know, mate. Have we got time? Um, And we sat in their studio cinema and he just left us to it. And um, the story there, and I asked him, why did you make that particular story? And he said, well, I was looking around, I realised there are lots of animated films for little children and lots of animated films for young boys, but there aren't many for young girls who are like 10, 11, 12, 13. I wanted to tell a story about a young girl of that age coming to terms with growing up basically yeah, yeah. leaving childhood and, and so to an extent Spirited Away is about that that's if you dig you don't have to see it that way um, and, and so a lot of these films do have that kind of element interestingly Totoro uh, he gave me a poster for Totoro which I've got framed around here somewhere and there's a famous scene in Totoro where they're waiting for their father they go to a bus stop it's where they first meet Totoro himself and they're or itself I don't want to gender him huh? it they 
uh, and they they go to the bus stop and they're waiting for their father to come home and a magical bus appears first, a cat bus. Right. And then they realise they're in a magical place and she looks down and she sees from under her umbrella, and umbrella's a big in anime, as I'm sure you know, yeah. she sees the feet of this hairy creature and we don't know at the moment whether it's friendly, what it is. And so it's a beautiful, powerful sequence and she's holding her little sister on her back. Yeah. That bond. In the poster, there's only one girl at the bus stop. And I said, that's interesting. I mean, Zakistan, why is there only one girl at the bus stop here? But in the film, of course, it's very famous. So he said, ah, he said, well, when I was first, when I first wrote the story and I was animating the film, we only had one girl in it. said, and I got about two thirds of the way through and I realized I needed something to happen in the final act. That was a moment. And so I wanted a smaller daughter, a younger daughter to get lost. There's a moment of peril. Yeah. We think she's lost. We don't know where she is. So I went back and added her in and changed the film. So oh that's an interesting thing, I think, that it shows you that you probably wouldn't get that. Certainly one person couldn't make that decision at Disney, no. for example. <laughs> or Warner I've Bowers decided, or yeah. yeah. You know what? I've decided we're missing a little Buzz bit. Buzz needs a son. Yeah. But here's the thing as well. It's just like, never mind how much it's going to cost or how long it's going to take. To tell this story properly, to, to really make this work for people, I'm going to go back and do all that extra work. I'm going to spend another two years doing this or whatever. That's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. So that is a, a beautiful film to start with. So younger kids, I would say, if you're watching with the younger kids in your family, start with Totoro or Ponyo. If you're watching kind of like the mid-period kids, you can more or less start with anything. Mononoke, Princess Mononoke, Mononoke Hime is the only one, I think, which is really, it's slightly more intense. Yeah. So it's slightly more, so it's slightly older kids. I wouldn't... I wouldn't even show that to a 10-year-old unless they were relatively, you know, robust. fairly robust 10-year-old. Yeah, yeah. if, if they were kind of emotional and easily scared or easily troubled and anxious, give them a year or two. Yeah. Mate, that is fantastic. Let me There's play you a little bit plenty, of this. So this. Plenty to get our teeth into This there. is This is uh, Totoro. Now, the theme for this, I sang to the Empress of Japan. As you do. Yeah, I, I met them at an official thing and I didn't know what to say last while and I went, ah, and they, I said, uh, she sort of said, why are you here? And it was translated and I speak very bad pigeon Japanese. So I couldn't have a conversation with her but I went, oh, I love the work of Miyazaki-san and I went, and she did look slightly, slightly scared. Well, yeah, a bit worried. This is the thing from Totoro. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I don't know if I can turn this off. That's fantastic. But I can put it over here. Would you like to hear a little bit? Yeah, from, yeah, please. This yeah. is from this Ca- is... Castle in the Sky, which is also just a beautiful, beautiful film. No, that one is. I think both were composed by Joe Hisashi, wow. who is uh, uh, Miyazaki's regular musical guy. A brilliant man, brilliant man. Jonathan, thank you so much. My pleasure. I really appreciate it. My that. pleasure. Thank you, dude. Well, what else is on Netflix? Well, I mean, you don't know. What do you watch? What do you watch on Netflix? What's, watch, what's your go to? What are you watching at the moment? Well, what are we watching at the moment? Well, I tell you what, I'm really looking forward to is I can't wait for the next series of Kingdom. That right, Korean okay. zombie thing. Did you watch that? No, I haven't. Oh, Tell us man, about it. watch Kingdom. Kingdom's like, I think it was a six-part, I think it was a made-for-Korean TV or made-for-Netflix by a Korean TV company. Amazing zombie story. Perfect. Well, I Check it out. you've just made a recommendation to everybody Kingdom. Well. Brilliant. We'll not, for, not for children under seven. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jamie. We're back now. Next in fashion. Guys, we're going to go around the table and you're going to tell me what to watch on Netflix. Starting with you, Henry. 
What should we be watching? Um, I I just don't think enough people are addicted to Shit's Creek. Uh, I just watch series one to five on repeat and just keep going through it. I'm obsessed. For anyone who's never heard of Shit's Creek, uh, it sell it. It is about uh, a uber rich family from New York who lose all of their money, get everything repossessed by the tax man, and end up having to move to a town called Shit's Creek, which they bought as a joke uh, many years before. And they end up living and running uh, a motel and realizing they actually quite like each other because they're forced to spend time with each other. And. The mother is hilarious. I mean... Catherine O'Hara. Catherine she's O'Hara. She's so amazing. My mum in different wigs. <laughs> <laughs> and I... Yeah, it's incredible. Alexa, what are you watching on Netflix? Unfortunately, I watched, and I love but and hate, because I'm terrified now, Don't Fuck With Cats. <gasps> oh, I watched that too. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Let's discuss Don't Fuck With Cats. Is it, Wait, hang have, on a minute. Have you not seen it? Is it in English? Netflix? Yes. Oh, my God, I have oh. so much to say. Okay, so Don't Fuck With Cats, if you haven't seen it, I'm sure you've heard about it, or someone at least has not come out of their house for days because they're terrified. It follows a story. Of, it's a real-life story okay. about a guy who is uh, investigated by this um, team of internet chat room, basically. They see this video go up online where someone's doing something really horrible to a cat and everyone's outraged and they decide to try and track down this person. And you get pulled deeper and deeper into this story uh, where it it becomes a cat and mouse game and the perpetrator kind of leads them up the garden path, starts doing more kind of uh, terrifying things and then it gets real. And it's really... Wait, do you say it's, re- it's unscripted? Documentary. Yeah, it's, it's a documentary about a guy who's just wow. insane. But it, the thing is, it's already insane as you're watching the first episode, but you have to stick with it because the end is so chilling. Yeah. <laughs> Terrifying. Can I, I Terrifying. one question? Yeah. Who's at the second pair of hands? I wouldn't know who's, the who's are the thing. second pair of hands. Who who's are, are the they? second pair of hands, and why do they not answer that they question? They don't answer the question. I think because if it's they, the it's because you they want you to. <laughs> it's the mum. <laughs> she was so cuckoo lala. She's she not, was. She's you know not what? Okay. Maybe it was the mum. It was not. not okay. You make a great coming for my son. She pointed them out in the first place. Wow. Double bluff also wants to be famous. Like or maybe Manny is real. I don't know. I thought it was just the guy whose python it is. You know, like you go on Gumtree, can I borrow your python? Uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, but if you were the python owner, wouldn't you be like, no, I'm not going to lend you my python to do that? You make a good point. Chia's really good too. What Chia. is? Oh, oh, sorry. You do too. Is that no, your sorry, tan? No, 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 I'm really What's enjoying cheer? it. Cheers. Okay, ta- about... is that your recommendation? No, that's not my recommendation. Uh, right. Are you saying... Cheer. Oh, cheers, Are you great. saying cheers? No, no, cheer. cheer like cheerleading. Cheerleaders. It's about a, che- a cheerleading school in, like... It just came out like a week like, ago. In Texas. Yeah. Oh, my God, Indiana I just realised I misheard someone the other night said to me... I said, what did you do last night? And he said, oh, I just went home and watched Cheers. But maybe he meant, <laughs> yeah, he meant Cheers. Yeah. He said Cheers. Because then I started saying, oh my God, I love Woody Harrelson. <laughs> <laughs> I love Ted Danson. He's the best. <laughs> and your friend looked at you blankly because they were yeah. watching <laughs> Jerry in oh, Cheer. Oh, how embarrassing. Okay. Cheer is great. So what's Cheer, uh, Tan? It's not my the one that I'm telling you about, but I do like Cheer. It follows this, um, it's a, uh, an unscripted show. It follows a cheer group who are trying to make it to, I think, Nationals. Daytona yeah. Nationals. Yeah. Like the thing that they fictionalise in Bring It On, that cheerleading oh, competition amazing. in Bring It On, but it it's a documentary. Exists. Yes. Oh my god, amazing! It's very, they're so talented. Yeah. Oh my they... gosh, it's insane. What they yeah. put them through is insane. Oh my gosh. What um, are the outfits? Good. 
Yeah. <laughs> Bring it back to yeah, fashion. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, okay, that's not the show that I was going to talk about. Sorry, Henry Holland, I took yours. Um, Messiah. Did anybody <gasps> see Messiah? Oh, I haven't seen it yet. I'm obsessed. Is it great? It, it's so good. So it feels like a slow burn the first two or three episodes, but the payoff when you get to the last two episodes, it's insane. And the whole time you're thinking, is he? Mm. And you just think, wait, if the Messiah, if you believe in this, if the Messiah comes back, would you believe it was him? Or would you think, nah, it's 2020. Like, mm. that guy's clearly not the Messiah. He's just very good at social media. And then there's a show called Queer Eye. There's a show called Queer Eye. I've heard about this. No, listen. Is it worth watching? I'm not talking about it's Queer Eye. It's a little indie one. No one, like, <laughs> you won't not, have heard of I it. I don't mean actual Queer Eye. I'm talking about Queer Eye where in Japan. I truly think it's incredible. I really do. I th- I'm not just saying it because it's... The really, first episode. It really is wonderful. That lady yeah i know mate god bless I her i think it's a beautiful oh, show <laughs> it honestly we're in japan the spin-off of queer eye it that is a tearjerker that first episode yeah. the, they all are they no, are but, all for this this, this lady it's like she's i know oh, i know you know like she's kind of let go of her own idea of femininity and Aww. you guys just brought her back to life I love she's her japanese so much. yeah they're all japanese it's um there's four episodes that are filmed in japan um and they're the most incredible stories. Aww. It's beautiful. I want to see it. I'm going to watch when I get home. Guys, you have given us so much to watch this weekend. Thank you so much for joining Thank us. You. Thank, Thank you. you. On what to watch on Netflix. Now, it's all very well us mentioning a couple of the big things that are already on or are soon to be coming to Netflix. But what about the things that are fresh out of the oven? There are so many new things dropping every week. We thought you'd appreciate a heads up. So what I'm going to do is get on the hotline that takes me straight to Gina, our Netflix guru. What she doesn't know is not worth knowing. Hello again, Gina. Hello, Bobby. How are you? I'm very well. Gina, before we go any further, because you are an authority over at Netflix, can you settle a debate? The sound at the beginning of a show, is it more of a ta-dum or a ba-dum? Okay. <laughs> if I had to choose between either of those... Ooh, I would probably say but um, but I think it's da dum like the oh with a d um yeah da dum one hundred percent. What do you think it is? I think you're wrong. I think it's a but um, but we digress. What is new on Netflix today? Okay, I've got something very exciting for you today, Dottie. Lock and Key. So this is a new show that comes uh, from the comics by Joe Hill, who, if you don't know, is the son of Stephen King obviously famed horror author, um, and illustrations by Gabriel Rodriguez. So it's essentially about uh, these three siblings who move into a house that are filled with mysterious reality-bending keys after the death of their father um, and about all of the, the mayhem that ensues after they discover that these keys are magical and could be connected to their father's death. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm intrigued. It's, 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 it's very, very intriguing premise and a very good show. You should definitely give that a watch. What else have you got for us? Anyone who's looking for a film to watch, you'll be very happy to know that Clueless is now on the service. Um, so if you haven't, for any reason, been lucky enough to have seen that film, how can I even describe what Clueless is like? It's essentially about this, these great people in this great school, I guess, living their, living their best life. Finally! I've been waiting for Clueless to be on Netflix. Clueless is fantastic, um, and obviously it's got Paul Rudd, who never ages, in it too. Uh, fantastic film on the service. Have a watch. Feel nostalgic. Also, teenagers being played by 30-year-olds. What's not to enjoy? What's, what's not to love? 
What is not to love? So once we watch that 90s classic, what else can we check out? A slightly random show that I would like to pitch to you to try, okay? Sell it to me. Okay, so speaking of selling it, uh, it's called Selling Sunset. Um, and the way it's a reality type series that follows this group of estate agents in California. I think they're in LA or somewhere, like somewhere in like fancy, but they essentially sell rich properties to like celebrities. Um, but it's kind of like the hills, but for estate agents. Like it's really, it's got like the competitive nature. It's got the, the beautiful like cast members. It's got the drama in the personal lives. It is honestly so entertaining. I watched it all in like a day and a half. Oh, it sounds amazing. It's very, very good. For British viewers, I'm thinking Homes Under the Hammer, but with a better backdrop. Um, you know what? It's like Homes Under the Hammer, right, meets Only Way of Essex. Oh, wow. Yeah, that is it. Watch it. Give it a try. I am. I'm, I'm watching it right now. I'm watching it. As we speak, Gina, I'm watching it. <laughs> I don't quite believe you've got people will go through it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Until next week. Until next week. See you later. See you later. That's it for this week. Next week, we aim to make you chuckle, laugh and guffaw with Jack Whitehall. And I'll be speaking to Lana Wilson, the woman given the mammoth task of directing Taylor Swift's brand new Netflix documentary, Miss Americana. What to Watch on Netflix is hosted by me, Dottie, and is written and produced by Jamie East. Editing and additional production comes from Cup and Nuzzle. What are you watching on Netflix? We'd love to know. Get in touch with us on Twitter at Netflix UK. Netflix UK.